Welcome to our ancient future story, Navigating Scripture Through the Eyes of Family, where I share with you biblical stories like a family member would share a story around the dinner table. As children of God, we are a part of God's family, and his family story has a lot of history. Each week, we will take one story and talk about it, the cultural, historical, geographical, and sociological impacts. We will look at these stories from the perspectives of our ancestors through the lens of ancient times in hopes of learning more about our family. This is our ancient future story. Welcome back to our ancient future story. I'm Vic, and I am so excited to share with you another story today. I know it has been a long, long time since we have stepped into the pages of history together, but I am so excited to be back and share with you this new story. In the next few weeks, we will be walking through the life and book of Ruth. Ruth is a fairly well-known character. She is known for being the Moabite woman who became the daughter-in-law of Naomi. She is often quoted, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. And she has this wild love story that ends with her becoming the great-great-grandmother of King David in the direct family line of Jesus. Today we're going to just begin her story, and then over the next few weeks we will dive into the rest. I hope you're ready. I am excited to share her inspiring life. My hope as we dig into her story is that we will see more than ever before. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee or something to drink, and get ready to hear the story of Ruth. I want to start this episode of picking up where we left off with Abraham and how we got to Ruth. We will go back to Abraham and finish off his story and his family with the children of God. But I want to go through the genealogy of how exactly we get from Abraham to Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and how Ruth comes into the family. So first we have Abraham and Sarah. They were married and they had a son named Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah, and he had twins, Esau and Jacob. And where we left off, we know that Jacob had ran away to his uncle's house because he had stolen the birthright from Esau. While he was there living with his uncle, he married Leah, and then eventually later, Rachel. Together, the three of them had 12 sons, known as the 12 sons of Israel. Their fourth son's name was Judah. Judah had a son named Hetzron. Hetzron had a son named Caleb. Caleb had a son named Hur. Hur had a son named Selma. And Selma's son's name was Bethlehem. And from this line, Elimelech was born. Elimelech married Naomi, and they had two boys, Malon and Chilion. And this is where our story begins. So our story opens with the opening line, in the time of the judges. Now, the judges ruled Israel after the death of Joshua, but before the kingship of Saul. This immediately lets us know what time frame we're looking at. 
Some scholars have joked that this time was like the Wild West. It makes a good movie, but you wouldn't want to live there. During this time, Israel had 13 judges, starting with Othaniel and ending with Samson. Each judge story follows this ebb and flow pattern of leading the hearts of Israel away from God. Israel gets overtaken by a surrounding enemy. The people of Israel cry out to Yahweh to save them. Yahweh raises up a leader who defeats the enemy and rules as judge, and the people of Israel follow Yahweh all the days of that leader's life. But once they died, they start following their own evil path again, and the whole cycle starts over. This is the backdrop for Ruth's story. Judge Edhad was ruling and not following the Lord. There was a famine in the land, so Elimelech took his family to Moab. But while they were living there, Elimelech dies. Mahlon and Chilion both take wives from the people of Moab. Chilion marries Orpah, and Mahlon marries Ruth. And together, they live in Moab for ten years. But then tragedy strikes again, and both Mahlon and Chilion die, leaving Naomi Ruth and Orpah widowed and without hope. Naomi gets up to head back to Bethlehem because she had heard from the fields of Moab that Yahweh had given food to his people. Her daughter-in-laws got up to follow her, but she stops them, prepared for a quick goodbye. She thanks them for their kindness they have shown her, especially in her grief. But then she kissed them and they wept together. Naomi then begs them to return to their mother's house so that they can be taken care of. She asks them, would you wait around for another child of mine? Even if I were to be pregnant today, would you wait until they are grown? No, don't follow me. Go home to your house. At this, Orpah kissed Naomi and headed to her mother's house. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth looked at Naomi at her mother-in-law, and said these famous words, Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me and do so severely, if anything but death separates me from you. Historical fun fact. It's important to note that Moabites did not solely serve Yahweh. They also served Canaanite guides like Baal and Asherah, in addition to Yahweh. So here Ruth is agreeing to denounce her gods and serve only Yahweh. That was huge in this time. No one did that. They would just add a new god to the gods they were already serving. But Ruth was choosing to follow Yahweh was more than just saying, I'm going with you, Naomi. She was committing to a life as an Israelite. So Naomi, seeing this faith in Ruth and how determined she was, agreed to let Ruth join her back to Bethlehem. When they arrived back in Bethlehem, the town was abuzz about Naomi's return. But Naomi was not feeling the party vibe. She told the people of the town, don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant one. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitterness. Because even though I left full, 
I have returned bitter and empty. Ruth and Naomi are now in town and they are trying to settle into this new reality they have in Bethlehem. It is the time of the beginning of the barley harvest, which will be important to our story next time. So this is where our story ends today. A bitter Naomi full of grief and pain. Her daughter-in-law Ruth, a Moabite, both widowed with no hope for the future. But the story isn't over. There is a redeemer who is coming to rescue them. Our story takes place in a couple different locations. First, in the land of Moab, which sits on the other side of the Jordan River. To understand where Moab came from, we have to turn all the way back to Genesis 19, to the story of Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his two daughters. Definitely go read it because it is an interesting story. But for now, I will say Lot fathered Moab and who became the namesake for the land of Moab across from the Jordan River. The other location is Bethlehem, or Bet-Lachim, means house of bread. This town was known for the barley harvest and the bread they made every year. This is the same town that Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was from, and the same place that Jesus, in just about a thousand years from this moment, will be born. I always love the fact that Jesus, who calls himself the bread of life, was born into a family line known for making bread, in a town called the House of Bread. But we will talk more about Bethlehem and the significance of the barley harvest in a few minutes. If you grew up in church, you have probably heard the story of Ruth and Naomi a few times, or at least parts of the story a few times. But there are four main things I think are interesting and that help shape the context of this story. Number one, why Moab? You may be asking yourself, why did Elimelech go to Moab? Wasn't Egypt the breadwinner at this time? Great question, and I had the same one. The chronology of Jewish history places Ruth's story between Judges 3 and Judges 4, during the reign of Judge Ehad. A quick refresher in case you don't remember Judge Ehad, he was the second judge of Israel after Joshua passed away. At this time, Israel did not serve Yahweh. They served Baal and Asherah. Because of this, Yahweh gave them over to the Moabite king, who ruled over Israel for 18 years during which time the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh to save them, and God raised up a leader named Ehad, who through a fascinating adventure found in Judges 3, I highly encourage you to go read it later, he kills the king of Moab, and Moab becomes the subject of Israel for the next 80 years. It's during these 80 years that scholars believe that Elimelech moved his family to Moab. So moving his family to Moab made the most sense because it was an extension of Israel. The second thing I found important in this story, Ruth's speech of where you go, I will go. Ruth makes this amazing speech, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and do so severely if anything but death separates me from you. 
But what is she really saying? What is she really giving up by following Naomi? And to answer that question, we first have to know how widows are treated during the time of the judges. To be a woman in this time was to be owned by a man and the men around you. First, you are the property of your father. And then if your father dies and you have brothers, you will come under your eldest brother's control. And then when you marry, you will be property of your husband. And if your husband dies, you'll be the property of your sons. This was, of course, because of the social construct of patriarchy that put women into this position. Without a man, a woman could do very little in this culture. They had no social standing. They had no access to jobs, which in turn meant they had no money of their own. Their only purpose was to keep the home and raise the children. However, if a woman was to become widowed, she would be left at the mercy of her sons. It would then be the son's responsibility to take care of his mother, which means provide basic needs like food, water, shelter, as well as giving her social standing in society. But if a woman didn't have sons or her son died, she would be left to fend for herself, which means she will likely be homeless, left without any way to make money. She would have a difficult time finding food. In short, she would be completely without hope, which is why the Levitical law says and Jesus also reiterates it later over and over again to care for the widows and orphans because they literally have nothing. The only option she had was to go back to her father's house, his bet off, assuming he's still living, in hope he can find her another husband. Or, like in Naomi's case, she needed what the Levitical law called a redeemer which is a male relative who would take the widow as their wife and have children with them to preserve her husband's name and family heritage. This is the life Ruth was agreeing to when she told Naomi, where you go, I will go. She was saying, I'm with you, even though I know it's going to be really hard, even though I don't have anything or anyone to hold on to, and I'm not even sure how we're going to make it, but I'm here with you. And we are doing it together, no matter what. At the end of her speech, Ruth says, May the Lord do so to me and do so severely if anything but death separates me from you. Now, there has been some debate among scholars about the anything but death part of her speech. Was she talking about the physical death that would separate the living from the deceased? Or was she saying, let nothing separate us even in death, which would imply the promise standing even in the afterlife, which begs the question, what did the ancient Israelite believe about the afterlife? Could family members go with them? On one hand, it's probably safe to assume that ancient Israel did not believe in the eternal life that we do today. So when someone died, that was the end. The ancient Israelite understanding of the universe was broken down into three parts, the heavens, the earth, and Sheol, or Hades. The heavens is inhabited by Yahweh and his host of angels. Only immortals can live in this realm. Earth is inhabited by humans and mortal beings. 
and Sheol in Hades is the realm after the dead. Immortals could descend downward, like the angels in Jacob's ladder, or Yahweh showing himself to Moses, but the movement could only go one direction, down. There was no expectation that mortals could reach heaven, much less enter it. So this is a good argument for Ruth to claim to stay with Naomi until the physical act of death separates them, because they would literally be in different realms. On the other hand, in recent years, archaeologists have reported finding Moabite tombs with pottery, jewelry, and other artifacts that were considered useful in the afterlife, which may imply that Moabites did believe in the continued existence after death. So it's a good argument for Ruth, who was a Moabite, to claim to go with Naomi even into the afterlife. And this reinforces how serious Ruth was about staying with Naomi. Because in order to go with someone to the afterlife, one would have been buried alive, much like they did in ancient Egypt. And Ruth is making the claim that she would do that. She would go as far as being buried alive to be with Naomi. Wow, what a statement. And if that was not enough, Ruth concludes her speech with, May the Lord do to me, and more also. This phrase is a Hebrew idiom for an oath. Remember when we talked about oaths and covenants? Oaths are legally binding contracts between the person saying it and Yahweh. This kind of oath is almost always followed by an if statement, explaining the promise they are making. If I let anything but death separate us. This oath implies that if the promise is not kept, a great punishment will descend on the person giving the oath, usually certain death. Sometimes the oath can be explicit, like in 1 Samuel 25:22, "May God strike me dead if" Again, this shows the persistence of Ruth. No wonder Naomi stopped trying to convince her to go back to her family. Instead, they headed toward Bethlehem together. Number three, returning to Bethlehem. We are not told Naomi's family line, but we know that after her husband and son died, she and Ruth headed back to Bethlehem, where Elimelech was from. This could imply that she was born into a different tribe, but married into the tribe of Judah. She had to go back to Bethlehem because it was the hometown of Elimelech. His land needed to be redeemed by his family redeemer, according to the Levitical law. We will talk more about family redeemer in the coming episodes, but for now I will say that Naomi returned to Bethlehem to have her husband Elimelech's line redeemed. And lastly, number four, beginning of the barley harvest. The beginning of the barley harvest would start the Jewish month Nisan, late March or early April on our calendars. The harvest would coincide with Passover. I find it fitting that Boaz would redeem Ruth and Naomi around the time of Passover, where they would remember Yahweh redeeming his people. The barley harvest is very important in Bethlehem. Because, as I mentioned earlier, Bethlehem, or Bet-Lachim, literally means house of bread. Barley was considered the food for the poor because it was cheaper than wheat and easier to plant, 
since barley was not affected by the harsh heat and didn't require soil to be tilled. It could be planted almost anywhere, which, after seeing Boaz's fields, this makes so much more sense, because Boaz's fields is on the side of a mountain full of rocks. So the idea that barley can be planted anywhere makes sense as to why Boaz chose to plant barley. So we see barley spread out around Bethlehem, a lot around Bethlehem. Once mature, the barley would be cut down, bundled together to dry, and then sent to the threshing floor to be grounded and prepared to be baked into little cakes. And this is what the lower class would typically eat. So now that we've seen the important points in this story, I want to take a minute and talk about how this story, this chapter of Ruth, points to Jesus. This is a story of Jesus's 20 times great grandmother that takes place in a town of his birth. But this is also a story of redemption. We will see it more in the coming weeks as we dive into the role of the family redeemer. But for now, I will say that Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. He is the one who rescues us and welcomes us into his family. So before we go, I want to close our time together by reading the scripture from which our story comes today in Ruth chapter 1. I hope that you will listen to this chapter being read and that you will embrace all that we have learned and that this passage will be illuminated for you. Let's read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephorites from the Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, their name of the one Orpah and the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Chilion died, so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, each of you, return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are of age? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? 
No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your daughter-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has tested against me, and the Almighty has brought bitterness upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Thank you for listening to today's episode of our Ancient Future Story. I hope that you really enjoyed it. This episode was written and produced by Vic Carmen. Music is Embarking on an Adventure by Evan McDonald. Please support the show by subscribing and rating us. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Our Ancient Future Story. See you next time. Bye!